In this episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast, I'm joined again by Dr. Phil Plisky. He has been a distinguished guest of mine in the past, and he is a phenomenal individual, especially in the world of sports medicine and orthopedic practice. Dr. Plisky and I are going to be discussing the importance of collaboration between physical therapy, athletic training, and strength and conditioning. And this is an area Dr. Plisky is very familiar with as he's actually a physical therapist, athletic trainer, and a certified strength and conditioning specialist. So he gets to wear all three hats simultaneously. So we offer a lot of great insight, and I certainly learned a lot from chatting with Dr. Plisky today. I know you're going to love this episode. Enjoy. Phil, welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited to talk with you again. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. It's uh, always a great time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, I always tell people if I'm bringing someone back on for a second or third time, you know, they're really good at what they do. And uh, you're certainly no exception to that. I've been able to learn a lot from you myself over our conversations, over your MedBridge courses, and just the general impact you've had on the field of sports medicine, Phil. But, you know, I'm sure there's someone out there who hasn't quite heard of you before, or maybe they haven't heard of all the amazing things you're doing over in uh, Evansville. Would you mind filling them in a little bit about who you are and all the stuff that you do? Sure. Thank you so much. I, I don't know that I deserve all that, but it's, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure there's a lot of people who haven't heard of me, quite frankly, uh, and probably some people who wish maybe they haven't heard of me. But uh, yeah, so I'm a, a physical therapist, athletic trainer, strength coach. Uh, I'm a professor at the uh, Doctor of Physical Therapy program at the University of Evansville. And then I spend my other time uh, consulting in professional sports in the military for performance systems. So uh, I get to wear, wear a lot of hats, do a lot of fun things. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And kind of like you mentioned, you have this unique role where you can kind of play as an athletic trainer, you can play as a physical therapist, and you can play as a strength coach. And I'd imagine sometimes you're doing all three of those jobs at the same time. And other times you're kind of more focused on one of the three. Is that correct? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I always, uh, yeah, it, it is. It's, uh, it depends on what I'm doing, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And probably most frequently, it is all three hats at once. So yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny because I just had someone this morning that I was working with ask me, she was like, you know, what's the difference between you and this person and that person? Like a lot of people have a hard time differentiating between the physical therapy, the athletic training, the strength coach. Um, and a lot of the athletes don't really understand the difference themselves. You know, they're like, hey, you know, I go to my AT and they do scraping and then I go to you and you do scraping as a PT. So, you know, where does the line come in? And um, I guess that's something I want to start with here today, Phil, is, you know, you kind of wearing all three hats at the same time. Where do you see the lines kind of being drawn or differentiating between athletic training, physical therapy and strength and conditioning? Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's an interesting question and and an interesting point. And and as we try to draw lines, I think that actually probably leads into maybe some of the some of the challenges we face and and some of the challenges we face discussing our own uh, professional responsibility. And so, you know, one way I like to think about it is is truly a continuum of care, right, for an athlete. And you know, that continuum of care is. It starts, if I think of it, I think it starts at uh, athletic training uh, with prevention and initial emergency management of, of, of injuries in sports or, or industry. Now, that profession of athletic training continues on 
into rehabilitation and kind of continues on into performance, right? So it, it's got this wide breadth of 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 what 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 the what the profession does. Now you look at physical therapy and physical therapy kind of has this maybe middle, you know, uh, of it. Now, some physical therapists, you know, do a little bit more of the emergency management, those board certified in sports and things like that. But in general, if you were to kind of say, okay, physical therapy really hits the rehabilitation, some into the prevention, some into, you know, a little bit into emergency management, but not nearly as much, and then continues on to performance. Right. And then uh, strength and conditioning specialists is uh, specialists really kind of pick up where both of those professions start to leave off. Right. I think both athletic trainers and physical therapists should be a little bit into the performance realm. And some have a lot more knowledge, especially if they are, you know, uh, certified as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, but really where that picks up in later stage rehabilitation, performance picks up and continues on into a whole realm of performance optimization. So it, it, you can see uh, just even in that description, why there might be some overlap, some confusion. Uh, it, it is a challenge. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, I like to think that the lines are intentionally gray, right? You know, right. physical therapy is kind of unique in the sense that, you know, you can do anything from quad, quad squeezing and straight leg raises all the way up to barbell back squat. And it's all right. still physical therapy. It's all still skilled care. Um, and I like how you broke it down in the continuum as well, because like you mentioned, a lot of the times I see ATs more on the acute management side, the emergency management side. And speaking from experience, that's something that doesn't always get included very heavily in the PT program. Yeah, so, not at all. yeah, and that's a whole different world in itself, right? Like it's not just orthopedic musculoskeletal injuries. What happens if an athlete goes into anaphylactic shock on the field? right? You might For be sure. the one that responds to that. So having additional training in that is certainly a good thing. And, um, you know, I'll even take it a step further and say from an ortho side, all of the different special tests that we learn in school, it's great. We get a lot of repetitions, a lot of practice on them, but we very rarely get to feel what a positive lock meant or a positive right. shift feels like until we're out in the world. And, you know, I don't think that that kind of individual is the one that you want responding to the emergency situation if they've never felt it before. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, having those different fields of specialization make us all better and allow us all to be, um, you know, able to function at a higher level of the different things that we're meant to do, I would mm -hmm. say. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, it's kind of interesting as you bring up you know, emergency management and, and you think about that, let's, let's give a skill that is maybe more thought of for physical therapists, although athletic trainers have this skill of, uh, you know, spinal manipulation, okay, may not be fully in the athletic trainers wheelhouse, maybe depending on the training, depending on the schooling and the state practice act, but spinal manipulation is in the physical therapist wheelhouse. It's not in the strength and conditioning specialist wheelhouse. And it, you know, it is, is less, less pronounced in the athletic training wheelhouse. I think what's interesting though, is if I were to characterize you as a physical therapist and I said, you know what, your real wheelhouse is uh, spinal manipulation. You'd be like, that's something I do, <laughs> but it's not the totality of what I do. And right. it's, it's, it's a lot more. And I think from an athletic training perspective, I think that's also sometimes what happens is because 
we tend to really glom onto the difference and where we can say, you know, physical therapists really aren't trained. It is not an entry-level skill. You know, I teach in an entry-level program. It is not an entry-level skill to provide emergency management uh, in, in the athletic venue setting. It, that is not a skill that, that is, is part of our basic board competencies. Therefore, it's easy to point to that skill and go, that's what an athletic trainer does. And mm -hmm. just like if I said you were, you, you know, your skill is spinal manipulation, you'd be like, <laughs> well, yeah, that's one thing I do. And I think the athletic trainer is probably saying the same thing when you, if you differentiate a physical therapist and an athletic trainer, you, they would kind of say the same thing. It was like, yeah, the emergency management sideline coverage and things like that, that is certainly something I do and, and, and can be a big part, but man, I've got a profession that's way broader than that. Yeah. I love that you bring that up. And it's, it's so funny you say that because the amount of times that athletes will come in to work with me and I tell them all like just so you know I can't do what your athletic trainer does like I'm spoiled on a right. on a busy day I see 15 to 16 people um so I get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time individualization time and I know that in the athletic training world like you might have one AT for an entire high school right so and 15 one... people are coming in at 2 30 in the afternoon yeah. So it's like, how do you juggle and manage when you have so many people? And that's one of the many areas that I kind of tip my hat to uh, those guys and gals is it's like, you know, you have to have a plan in place to see so many people all at the same time and provide value to all of them. And, you know, I don't think that the value has to come from super sexy, attractive Instagram exercises. I think right. simple things done very well provides value. You know, I think there's value in 10 to 15 minutes of daily range of motion work on targeted areas or 10 to 15 minutes of targeted basic strengthening on areas that we know there's deficit you know three sets of 10 straight leg raise and clamshells might not change anyone's life but if you do them regularly it's certainly not going to allow you to regress backwards by any means sure. yeah absolutely and that, i think that's the thing is and again you you think about that continuum you know, if, if you were to say what a strength and conditioning specialist does, and you were to say, well, they're really good at Olympic lifting. <laughs> really? You know, like that's not, that's not, that's, that, that's almost, and, and you can see how it almost would be offensive, you know, uh, to go, well, gosh, you don't even, are, you aren't even characterizing a 10th of the things that I'm considering looking at, thinking about, when I'm, when I'm, you know, designing performance programs. And so I think that's where a lot of this boils down to is, is really, you know, uh, you know, having that humility of, of what you're kind of saying of, wow, what is the other person doing? What is the other person, you know, experiencing? And I don't know that, and I'm not as good at that. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a key point to really kind of start the process. So, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And it's, it's funny because, I've met and worked with athletic trainers that I trust more with certain athletes and certain individuals than some PTs. Oh, uh, sure. And it, it's kind of weird to say that when you're a physical therapist and you're like, you know what? I trust that person more than 
this person in my profession. Yeah. Uh, well, but- and that's the thing too. I think as we look at different professions, I think, you know, I mean, in, in my top five of people that I would send, uh, you know, my kids to and do send my kids to, you know, I've got, you know, an osteopath, you know, you'd think, well, that, you know, that's, that's in conflict with the physical therapy profession. No, they're just great. I've got a chiropractor who is, is absolutely amazing uh, physical therapists that are incredible and, and strength coaches and athletic trainers who all, I mean, all of those professions go in there. So there's elite in all of those professions. And there's also kind of the bottom of the barrel in all of those professions too. And, you know, there's physical therapists that I wouldn't, you know, necessarily send my dog to, uh, you know, just like their strength coaches and athletic trainers in, in that same realm. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the importance of specialization, which is something that you and I have talked about at length previously, you know, not every strength coach is well-versed in the world of high level sports, Um, or maybe they're more well-versed in a specific sport than others. You know, maybe they grew up playing lacrosse, played lacrosse in college, worked with the college lacrosse team on an internship, and now they work primarily with lacrosse athletes. Well, if it looks like a dog, smells like a dog, it's probably a dog. So Lacrosse, yeah, they'll go to that person. But, you know, if someone else doesn't have that experience, maybe they're not the lacrosse person. Um, Same thing with the athletic training world is, you know, there's ATs I see working with college and high school athletes all day long. There's other ATs I see that are kind of in more of like a military type role uh, in the armed forces. And I'd imagine those are very different. Um, So naturally, my ability to send uh, an athlete or individual to one of them is going to differ based on their skill set and expertise. And I mean, same thing with PT, right? Like, there's a reason you don't see me treating someone with Parkinson's disease in the clinic, right? I I don't even know where to start at this point, I'll be honest. Um, So I'd, I'd rather admit my downfalls and say, look, you know, TMJ, pelvic floor, neurological diseases, that sort of thing. Those are not my wheelhouse. But hey, here's someone who's going to be better at those than myself. And uh, I think the more we kind of play into each other's strengths, the better we all become and the better our outcomes for our patients become as well. For sure. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. And um, how do you feel that kind of blends into the world of strength and conditioning, Phil? Because I've seen a lot of debate recently about, you know, strength coaches doing like rehabilitative things, or, you know, maybe, maybe it's a PT practicing in an insurance-based model and they can't get additional authorization visits mm-hmm. and the strength coaches kind of, kind of take over. How do you feel about that? And where do you feel that kind of is progressing long-term here? I'll say, you know, I think, you know, I think it boils down to the, the care of the athlete and being passionate about caring for that athlete i'll give an example of a statistic and i you know i'll quote something not fully knowing but you know one of my colleagues who does a lot in private practice and he says that the the research says that about 10 percent or less of people who need physical therapy get it okay so not all of all the population you're saying 10 percent get physical therapy it's like less than 10 percent who need it get it and I kind of think, and I think of that statistic and I think of, you know, what we're doing in ACL reconstruction rehabilitation, you know, it is, it is so hard. We know someone needs to have rehabilitation for an entire year in structured programs and, and things like that. 
But in the in our insurance-based model, in, in our current healthcare system, that's almost impossible, right? We need to go to cash-based models and things like that. But that's where right now, literally, I've got a I've got a patient with an ACL reconstruction that the athletic trainer is is seeing the person uh, uh, once once maybe up to three or four times per week in the athletic training room. They're seeing me uh, once a week uh, in in physical therapy, and that's going to transition into strength and conditioning here really soon. And you look at that, what a collaborative model to get the care that they need. I think. I think if we're if I'm worried about what someone else is doing, I'm probably not doing the best I can be doing in my own profession at that point in time. You know, if I have to say, oh, this person shouldn't be doing that, you know, then then where is that person going to get that care from? I'm not advocating going out of scope of practice or anything like that. But we tested, you know, 20 people on a football team at a, a local high school. Three of them had had knee surgery. And three of them, uh, one of them uh, didn't have any ankle dorsiflexion on that side. Two of them had pain with squatting. And those people have been fully rehabilitated, you know? And so that's a that's a slam on, on the physical therapy uh, that was occurring there. That's a slam on the athletic trainer. And that's a slam on a strength and conditioning, right? We should have this collaborative model that, that are just caring for that, those athletes. I completely agree. And like you said, you know, in a case like that, it's not just one individual that's responsible, right? You know, if PT says, look, we have no more visits, you're discharged, then we we can't just blame the whole thing on the PT. But likewise, we can't blame it all on the AT either. And I'll even take it a step further. We can't blame that whole situation on the ortho doc either. I'm curious, on that specific example that you uh, gave in the ACL world, how did you go about facilitating collaboration between AT strength coaches and yourself? Well, you know, we're in a fortunate situation that we have we have athletic trainers at the at the high school, um, you know, who who are you know that's that's what they spend half day doing is 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 that athletic coverage. So we're very fortunate to have that that you know cooperation. But I think. I think what it really comes down to, honestly, is is having respect for the other profession, having communication with the other profession, having your own humility to go, hey, you know, this is my skill set and I'm okay that you and the athletic trainer and I share a skill set. So if I take my athletic training hat off, it's okay that 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 they can do rehabilitation. I think it's awesome. You know why? Because the athlete needs to be taken care of. And so if I have that humility, if I have the respect for the other profession and I communicate and I do that in a way that is, is, has empathy wrapped around it, meaning I can look at the other profession and go, huh, I, you know, like you said earlier, it's gotta be kind of hard to manage 15, 30 athletes in an hour period, uh, who are high school athletes that, that may or may not be listening while the coach is breathing down your neck and the parents are calling and all this kind of stuff, man, I, I can maybe see why maybe their communication hasn't been as good with me, but that's how I approach it is I approach it with that. And I, I'm not, I'm not the best at humility, but I, that's what I try to go with is, Hey, you know, they, they're doing a lot. And, and if we can work together in this common outcome of the athlete, it goes so much better that we don't even have to worry about turf or lines or anything like that. It's let's get the athlete taken care of. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I like that approach and I like having the ability to kind of step back. And as you said before, you know, just be upfront, open and honest about the situation and being willing to listen uh, as well to the other professions, because 
as difficult as it might be for us to accept sometimes, sometimes we're wrong and oh, absolutely. someone else is right. Um, so knowing that it's okay to step back and, you know, you're not going to solve all the world's problems on your own and you're going to be wrong at times, I think is a huge part of that as well, because, um, you know, take, take the ATPT example again, you know, if you're new grad PT versus like 20 year experience AT and you're not sure if, um, if you're feeling a positive Lockman or not, and the AT knows it, you know, because they felt it hundreds of times in their career. Um, you, you know, that's a, an example of where someone who's got the experience, but maybe not the doctorate degree or the PT background or something like that can really reign supreme. So I think, um, I think there's a lot of value in what you just kind of outlined there, but I'd imagine things don't always go according to plan. And right. there's sometimes when people might not want to work together, people might not want to collaborate or people might just say, look, I need you to stay out of this situation. I'm going to handle the whole thing on my own. Um, from my angle, I would imagine that's a pretty dangerous place to be. What do you it think? It really is. Yeah. And and that's the interesting thing. And, and, you know, we've given a lot of examples of high school or maybe even college, you know, rehab performance and, and athletic training all working together. But, you know, when, when I go in and consult at the professional level, the number one thing I can tell you the health of the organization by whether athletic training, physical therapy, and strength and conditioning are all together or if there's literally a wall between the athletic training room and the performance facility, the, and the, and the, and the physical therapists have their own room and, and, and the ones that can kind of go, all right, we're all in this together. That it's, it's a game changer for the players. It's a game changer for the athletes and it does go wrong. And I think if it is ever going wrong, the, the, you know, you gave the example of the person that says, I'm going to control this. I'm going to do everything for the athlete. I'm going to be the quarterback of this team. The best way to respond to that person is with humility, respect, and communication, right? And, and, and then looking at that empathy. Well, maybe that person, maybe that person who's quarterback trying to quarterback everything, maybe they've been burned before and, you know, their athlete got a really bad outcome and they were blamed for it. In, you know, so they're like, now I'm going to take charge. So we can put that in our mind and go, okay, I can approach this situation with humility. Hey, go ahead and be that quarterback. How can I help you? How can I, you know, do, do something? Cause we, again, we have that respect. We have that communication and just keep going over and over again with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And, you know, you've mentioned it a couple of times here, having good um, communication is pretty essential as well. Um, how do you go about facilitating the communication or how often, like, are you talking with individuals daily or weekly or monthly, or how do you kind of break up your little, um, like, um, I, I, I don't know what I want to call it, like team meetings, I guess I'll say. Right. It really depends on the circumstance, uh, you know, the context of, of things that are going on. If we're working, you know, with, you know, getting a professional athlete or a college athlete back to something, you know, very quickly, very aggressively, it actually can be daily, you know, and it's, it's best as a quick test text message for me that say, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what I worked on. This is what you need to do. Um, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's more long-term rehab type of thing, at the beginning, it's a lot, you know, it may be every visit, but as we go farther out and as long as things are going well, it's not nearly as much. And so 
I think that context really drives the frequency of communication and the, you know, the preference of the parties, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I think of the, you know, uh, husband and wife who were married for 50 years and they told me once they said, uh, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't tell me that he loves me anymore. And she, he said, you know what, I told you at the beginning and I told you if anything changes, I would let you know. And, you know, I kind of think of that, you know, as far as communication preferences, we can't let our own communication preference though, drive that communication train, you know, let's just, let's just ask. I'm, I'm really big on just asking, Hey, how often do you want to hear from me? You know, is it, and, and when I'm communicating to you, please understand that I'm not communicating to, to tell you what to do. It's more to inform you so that we're on the same page with the athlete so that when they, when the athlete asks me if they can return to run that, you know, uh, what I said so that you don't accidentally step on it and, and go, Oh shoot. You know, I, I told them they could, and now we have this conflict. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I see what you're getting at there. And I like the ask approach instead of tell, I think that comes from a much better position than, you know, being the one to tell everyone else how it's going to be. I think that asking is always a good thing. And even, you know, I'll uh, occasionally email and present a plan for someone and then ask input and feedback, like, do you have any other thoughts or any other input? Or, hey, is there anything that I missed here? And 99% of the time, I don't even hear back about like, hey, do this instead, or this should be better, right. or something like that. It just kind of follows suit. But I think it's important to open up the table for those discussions. And, well, I'll, and I'll take that, I'll take that a step further. Because yeah, go for again, it. you know, when, when, you know, I see there's a couple strength coaches that I work with literally are the best in the world and their humility, their genuine humility is off the charts yet. They're at the highest level of, of pro sport. But with that said, even saying, Hey, here's the plan. Do you have any input? If we take it a step back and say, Hey, do you have a plan or would you like me to put together one that we can collaborate on? Right. So now, rather than me even saying, here's my plan, do you want to add to it? It's, Hey, maybe you already have a plan that maybe we can collaborate on. And so that can even open up that door of communication even more, because now we're saying, I value what you have to say. And maybe the best way to go about this is you send me your plan and I'll, I'll make any edits or additions that, that we need to versus trying to open it up with, Hey, here's everything I have, you know, do you agree or disagree? Yeah. I love that approach that you just outlined. And I love that just kind of take on it. I haven't thought about it like that before, Phil. Um, and I think that really allows you to see what someone else knows where their knowledge base is, because Hey, you know, maybe you have a strength coach who they don't have any formal education on the ACL rehab process, but they actually know like, Hey, we're going to hold plyo until this point, we're going to hold this movement until that point. Like they might know that from past experience, but if you don't give them a chance to spread their wings, then you're not ever going to see them prove it to you. Right. Um, Absolutely. So and you've also, and you've also may have alienated them in the process because you assumed that they don't know, or you assume that they don't have a plan by sharing yours automatically. And you wouldn't believe the number of times I've done that. Uh, yep. where, you know, I just go, okay, here, here's my plan. And, and, and I've, again, in the past few years, I've learned that in strength and conditioning that, you know, the best, the best coaches in the world lay back until they're asked. And even when they're asked, they're kind of like, yeah, I don't even know if this is right, but this is what I do. 
you no, know, and, uh, and then they give it to you and it's absolute brilliance. And you're like, wow, I didn't, where did this I, come from? I didn't even think of that. You know, I, didn't, I don't even, I didn't, I didn't even have that gear, you know, right. I didn't even know that was an option. So you talking about that, this is coming at a perfect time. So one, I actually have to send a few emails to AT strength coach, like kind of at like a university school type setting there about some individuals. And I already have like, you know, the long drafted out emails that I normally write. And I'm going to cut and paste that into a Word document for later. I'm yep. just going to shift gears into something like this and say, like, look, here's what I'm working with. Here's where they're at. Do you have a plan? And yeah. go from there. Yeah. And I, I would, yeah, like and I that would, approach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like, what, what is, what is your plan? How can I help you? Yep. Yeah. You know, and it. then, and then we just, we've just kind of gone. All right. You know, you're, you're kind of. And again, I don't care who the captain of the ship is. And I don't care if, if they're indeed the captain of the ship or think they're the captain of the ship. It doesn't matter to me. All that matters to me is I get done what I need done with the athlete. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We all play our role. And I like to say that the most important thing at the end of the day is the person you're working with gets where they want to be. Yeah. Um, I don't care if that goal is just get back to daily life or get back to high level sport. If they get where they want to be successfully, then everyone wins. Um, and I think that's another important piece too, is sometimes athletes have been injured for so long or in pain for so long that sport isn't even part of the consideration anymore. Mm -hmm. And that can be tough for us all to kind of swallow sometimes is like, we work with athletes, we want to get them back on the field and go, go, go and watch them play again. But sometimes athletes might not want that. And it's important to make sure we put their wants and needs and desires above our own. Um, I also want to talk a second on that point you made too about like just the expertise and you know knowledge that you can gain from other individuals I have learned so much myself from um, Danny Foley and the Rude Rock guys on various approaches to training and injury management they take a more fascia based training approach mm -hmm. and they've taught me their fascia line line assessment for uh, various fascial sling systems and that sort of thing and it's like, that's a whole new way of thinking. It's a whole new concept. I've never thought of that before. And here I am learning that from three strength, three, four strength coaches, one of whom is younger than me. Right. Um, and it's kind of crazy to like learn, you know, a whole new approach, a whole new line of thought and something that's been extremely successful based on my rather limited experience with it so far um, from individuals who don't really have that formal physical therapy lens or the formal AT lens even. Um, so I think that there's plenty of value that we can learn from others like that. And I think that the power of the internet even makes that more simple, I would say, um, simpler. Um, you know, we look at like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and we kind of demonize them real quick, or we're quick to critique other individuals. But sometimes we can look at what they're doing and say that there's value there. And maybe we don't see it at first, or maybe we're like, what the heck are they doing here? This makes no sense. But if it's working for the individual, then there's obviously value in it. And I think that the more we kind of learn and share from others, the more well-equipped we are going to be ourselves. Well, and I think that, you know, I think, you, like you say, we demonize people, what they're sharing and all this kind of stuff. I think the best approach to that is have a systematic evaluation and testing system uh, all the way from simple rehabilitation through performance. And when you have that simple system, you can then test out these ideas and go, okay, 
this is what I'm working on. I'm working on, you know, power here. And the intervention I do has this effect on power immediately. Well, what if I take this, this uh, Instagram power thing that kind of makes some sense and I like, and I put that in and I retest power, then I can tell if it's working or not. Otherwise I get distracted, right? There are a million different ways uh, to, to peel this onion, but you know, you've got to keep, keep it simple and know what it's trying to do when it's trying to do it. And I think if you're not systematic, from the evaluation and testing perspective, you're going to be, you're going to be chasing your tail in the, in the exercise perspective. Exactly. And it allows you to um, play, um, play into each other's strengths, not just from a skill standpoint, but a financial standpoint, because at the end of the day, all of these different things cost money. Right. Um, I might not have the money for a biodex machine in my outpatient clinic because those things are a little pricey, right? Um, but you know, an AT at a university setting where they're doing research, they might have a biodex machine that they can use and do testing on that. Um, you know, I might not have access to fancy force plates and that sort of thing, but AT at university with research going on there on those things, they might have access to them. So that's going to allow us to, um, as you said, build our system but also access higher level data that we wouldn't yeah. have access to otherwise. Um, Absolutely. Same thing with a strength and conditioning environment. Some of the different like speed and agility tests that are done. Imagine if we could look at every athlete who's torn their ACL, look at their flying 10, their 40 yard dash, their vertical jump, all of that stuff pre-injury and then run it again post-injury and see where right. those numbers are. Like that's a huge advantage. Um, but you know, us as PTs, we almost never have all that information on someone, test all that information on someone, and then get to test it all again post. Um, you know, we we really have to have the ability to, as we've been saying, um, collaborate with these other individuals and make the best of all the different worlds. And, you know, maybe you're spoiled enough to have all of them within arm's reach at the same facility. But if not, I think that's where the power of, like we've said, communication, email, text message, phone call. I mean, I've connected with people through Instagram and Facebook before. Yeah. Like this. So um, all of these things really come into play at the end of the day. For sure. Absolutely. And it, it, like you say, it, it boils down to consistency of information and communication. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Phil, I know that's something that you are always helping others to become better at, and you're always preaching to your uh, coaching group as well over at philpliskey.com. For people who want to learn more from you or check out the coaches club, that sort of thing, where can they find you at, Phil? Yeah, absolutely. So philpliskey.com, P-H-I-L-P-L-I-S-K-Y. You can find a lot of information there. You can find out uh, about the Coaches Club. Uh, right now, the enrollment in that is not open, but it will be uh, later uh, in the year. And it's just a great group of people that we are just learning together, kind of learning in an environment that I think is, is a way that we all have the humility and we're not afraid to ask the questions. We're not afraid to ask the performance questions as PTs, as strength coaches. We're not afraid to ask the rehabilitation questions and, and the injury questions and, and athletic trainers, uh, the same thing. So it's just a group of people who, who are there to support each other. So that's the coaches club. We have a lot of fun with that. Uh, you can find me on uh, all the social media channels, uh, Instagram and, and Twitter and LinkedIn and, and, uh, Facebook or mom book or however we call it, but, <laughs> 
uh, MySpace. Uh, You're more the MySpace. Yeah, yeah exactly. Generation. You can find me on my MySpace channel. Um, but yeah, so yeah, absolutely. I love the questions. I love to to teach. It's what my passion is. I believe we're building uh, the future of rehabilitation and performance. I think we're doing some great things now, but we can do it a lot better. And I, I think that's what we're all striving for. And if we do that together, it's a big win. Yeah, exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Phil. Is there any other closing thoughts or closing remarks or anything else you wanted to share today? You know, I think I think it's just approach what regardless of what profession you're in, I think if you just approach the other professions with that humility, respect and and high quality communication, I think we're just going to do a lot better for our athletes. And I think that's my take home message is keep the athlete in mind. Don't worry about turf wars. Don't worry about who's in charge, who's running the show. Just worry about how you can get that athlete to be better. And if the other person's frustrating you or pissing you off, maybe they've got a bad life situation going on right now, or their work situation's horrible. And, and uh, maybe you can help them out and make it a little easier for them. Yeah, exactly. Offer yourself as a servant and someone who can help instead of trying to take over the entire project. And uh, oddly enough, I think a lot of people push back on that saying, but I need to see X amount of people from a financial standpoint. And I found that the more you take care of others, the more they're going to want to take care of you. That's so, exactly right, man. That's certain you hit the nail on the head. The servant leadership. Remember, we're seeing less than 10% of the people who need rehabilitation are being seen. Uh, so, you know, I've seen it time and time again, small town of 2000 people or 3000 people. I, we built it ourselves uh, where we were open three half days per week. And everybody would say, oh, you can't, you can't even survive in a town that size. By the time we left in three years, we had four physical therapists working full time. And I've seen that replicated uh, not only in Idaho, but in, uh, you know, southern Indiana, southern Illinois, rural areas. They're just people need to be taken care of. And if you treat them right and you treat other people right, it'll go real well for you. Yeah, I love that approach and love that end message here, Phil. We will link to your website, your MedBridge courses, your social media profiles, Um I, I forgot. I think the other one was Friendster before MySpace. Is that, that, what it is? Probably, okay, that, that might've been more your, more your era. Um, hey, we'll easy there. That below. Um, <laughs> Phil, I really appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure talking with you and learning from you and uh, sharing your vast array of knowledge and insight with the world, man. I appreciate you. Oh, well, I'm glad to be here and it is, it is uh, truly a lot of fun. So uh, I hope to be back sometime. Hey everyone, I want to take a second and tell you all about AliRx. AliRx is a at-home food sensitivity and gut health testing panel. You order online and then receive and complete your test at home for food sensitivities. You then receive a custom report online through your member portal and then receive personalized recipes and supplements that are catered to you based on your food sensitivities. If this is something that interests you, you can check out the link and description in my bio and you can use the coupon code capital D, capital B, R-A-U-N, capital R-X, so D-Braun R-X at checkout to save yourself 20%. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Braun Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.